Man, my intent this morning, my prayer this week is this, is that they're just massive gospel bombs that go off in the hearts and the lives of you, the listener, and me, the preacher here this morning. I don't know if I'm going to say, if you've been a believer for a long time, I don't know if I'm going to say anything that you do not know this morning, and yet... I think, as we see, even read inside the scripture, that the Paul and the other gospel writers and, and uh, all the writers in the New Testament especially were having to constantly remind people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so my heartbeat this morning is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, like I said, that just gospel bombs will just be rained upon us, just a melee of, of who God is and his character. And because of who he is, then, then who we are, and yet in spite of who we are, what Jesus does for us. So may you be deeply, deeply encouraged um, through the preaching and teaching of the word this morning. In Matthew chapter 18, I encourage you to follow along with us this morning as we're continuing this sermon series called King and Kingdom, kind of looking at the personhood of Jesus, but also um, his earthly ministry. And we have seen in Matthew chapter 18, which we will focus on verses 10 through 14 today. Um, I've already preached those other passages in 18 along with Pastor Justin, so we encourage you to go back and to listen to those on our website, missionbg.com. But we will see for the rest of Jesus' ministry that he is really pinpointed and focused on what does it mean um, for us to be the church and how we are to interact with each other as part of the church. Brothers and sisters, we must be careful if you claim to be a follower of Jesus in this room today, then we must fight the drift to lessen the importance and significance of both the global church and the local church. Because to Jesus, they are of high significance. And so if they are unto Jesus, then so they shall be unto those of us who are his followers. The church is very, very precious to Jesus. Like a husband who comes to the rescue of his bride or the father who protects and, and defends his children, we learn in Matthew chapter 18 that God will punish all those who come against the church. He will punish them. The scripture tells us in many ways throughout um, the scripture, we get these images of the church. And in Matthew chapter 18, we get this specific image of looking at the church, looking at followers of Jesus, looking at us, those of us who have been saved as children of God. Now we're talk talking here about demanding rebellious children, but we are talking about children who have come to the realization of their very sinful nature and come to God, come to Jesus, now humbly dependent upon Jesus. And if we are dependent upon Jesus, then we are going to quickly learn inside of the New Testament that we are also quickly, or that we are dependent upon the church as well, that we need each other. This idea that you can be a follower of Jesus and not be deeply immersed inside of the church, I'm telling you, is a lie from the enemy. And yet it has become very common practice inside of American church and the American culture. 
The church are the people who have come to understand the character and nature of God, who, who recognize that they were poor and powerless and helpless, that we're completely dependent upon Jesus, and yet we marvel at God's grace that has been shown to us. We are humbled by this. Not because we are precious in and of ourselves, but in spite of ourselves, God has decreed that you and I, those whom he has saved, are precious. We are merely jars of clay, the scripture says. And yet, God deems you valuable. He deems me valuable. We were his enemies made his sons we were terrorists declaring war against God and his plan and his mission and he turns us he woos us he drags us to himself and in his kindness leads us to repentance and adopts us as sons and daughters of God my aim today is this for us to see the character of Jesus in both his attitude and his pursuit of us as his children. In seeking and savoring the, the biblical Jesus, we learn to imitate him, thus humbly serving and seeking the welfare of other Christians above our own. So let's look today, verse 10, as we look at this aim and this kind of sermon in a sentence of what we hope to accomplish and what we hope God will do this morning. In verse 10, it says this, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. If you're, what is the context that we're in inside of Matthew? There's this argument that's taking place. The, the disciples are jockeying for position. They're arguing, man, who is, who is the greatest? Much like teenagers wrestling for, man, who is going to be built up? Who is the greatest among us? And therefore, that's why Jesus takes a child and says, you can't worry about being great. The great ones don't make it. It's the humble ones who are a part of the kingdom of God, who are citizens in God's kingdom. Because, man, if you are wrestling with, with someone on who is the greatest, what is the natural tendency for those of us in our sinful nature? It is to despise the other person. In this case, it is to despise another believer. What does despise mean? It means to, to look down upon, to think that another believer is inferior. It means to show favoritism. You know, all true Christians, whether baby Christians or mature believers, are precious in the eyes of the Lord, and yet our temptation is to what? It's to despise some of them. Let's face it. We get on each other's nerves. And in doing so, because being a Christian and being members, it can often be messy. We can fall into this trap, this sinful trap that Jesus, again, is using this illustration. They're arguing back and forth, I'm greater. No, I'm greater. No, I'm, I'm infinitely, plus whatever you say, greater than you are. And Jesus is saying, man, if, if people are greater on this earth and they're fighting for that position, then what does that cause? That means that the greatest person despises and thinks less of the lowest person. 
But it's also in reverse of that. The, the lower people despise the greatest. So we have this endless cycle of despising each other, wrestling with each other. Jesus is warning us in this passage about our attitudes toward other Christians. I'm better than you. Man, I, I do more for the church. I serve more. I know more. In essence, is, is projecting yourself as being greater. It's me projecting myself as being greater than other believers, which is at the root of the argument that Jesus is shutting down toward his disciples. One of our former presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, once said this, Comparison is the thief of joy. Much truth in that statement. Okay? If you have not been on vacation a long time and people on Facebook keep posting photos of their kneecaps and toes in front of the water for some reason, comparison steals your joy, doesn't it? What pe people have that you don't have, if you compare, man, this is what my house looks like, these are what my clothes look like, man, these are the gifts and the abilities that I have compared to this person, and what's the tendency it's for your joy to be stolen. Comparison is the thief of joy. And that is what is happening inside of this very small church, if you want to call it that, of 12 men, one of which, Judas, is the devil. We often climb on the, to the top by stepping on the heads of others. This is counter to Jesus. This is counter to the kingdom of God. This is counter to what it means to be a Christian. We do not step on the heads of other believers to get to the top. No, we humble ourselves. As the book of Corinthians will remind us, if we have a potluck, this is a paraphrase, but if we have a meal together, we should not fight for who gets to eat first. But we lovingly wrestle over the joy of being last. We are constantly making sure that others are fed and others are taken care of, that the health of others is not just the health of me, but I am concerned for the health of you and you for the health of me. This is what Jesus is getting at, that we do not wrestle with each other. We are not trying to outdo each other so that we will be worshipped and that we will be honored, but no, we try to outdo each other so that the other person will be on our shoulders. Anybody else grow up playing in a pool in the summertime? We used to play this game called chicken, right? You take the person and you put another person on your shoulders, right? And you're fighting in the pool. You're jockeying for position. You know what I always hated? To be the person on the bottom, all right? Because you look like the jack in the, in the Titanic. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, this person just having all kinds of fun. And you're like holding this person and they rich your neck, right? Because... You're on the bottom. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be on the bottom. To lift up. We do not seek to be at the top of the pyramid scheme. Now we're completely complacent in the love and the mercy of Christ with being at the bottom so that others can rise to the occasion. We see this, and yet... We know that inside or this side of heaven that we often act 
like children in the sense of that we have moments of great maturity. And then we have moments of immaturity. If you are the parent of a tween or a teenager, you probably see this weekly. Things will come out of your kid's mouth or your teenager's mouth and you'll be like, oh my gosh, he's getting little peach fuzz on his lip, right? Things that he does, the things that she says, and you're like, and they are growing up. That was a very adult-like thing to say. Give them five minutes, right? Give them five minutes and see what happens, right? Is that not how we are? Scripture even say, man, in our own mouths, as we, we will give praise to God with these lips, and yet, in a few moments later, be cursing. This is the, the difficulty of, of this side of heaven is that we are wrestling with maturity and immaturity. But brothers and sisters, as Paul would remind Timothy, do not let them look down on, on you because you are young. Brothers and sisters, whether you're a teenager, a child, old or young, I want you to get this. Spiritual maturity is not accomplished by age. It is not accomplished by how many years you have been graced on this earth. It does not mean that you are more wise because there are more gray hairs in your head. There are many non-believing people, very much even people who claim to be followers of Jesus that are older and yet are far more immature than even some new Christians. Maturity is not accomplished by age. Maturity is accomplished by work and attitude. Naturally, we respond with immaturity, but supernaturally, we fight for humility. A place where we lift and want to lift others above our very own. And it is common for brothers and sisters to get into immature fights, isn't it? To be jealous, to be envious, and I attitude toward each other can easily be swayed. Let me ask you this. How many of you um, have, have ever been in a situation where you were gathered as a local church somewhere and someone showed up outside of the church and began to shoot it or to drop bombs on it? May raise your hand? Nobody? Anybody been at a church service, a gathering, and, and somebody came in with a machine gun? Nobody? Okay. But how many of you have ever been a part of or close to a situation within a church where it fell apart because bombs were going off amongst the people throwing grenades as church members? We call this a church split, all right, or division within a church. Raise your hand. Anybody? See, within the American church, the fear is not the bombs 
and the machine guns coming from the outside. Now, the, the fear within the American church of what causes most of the problems are, are the grenades being thrown from believer to believer, family members like brothers and sisters arguing, fighting, becoming jealous and envious of one another until finally they cannot come to reconciliation because they're focused more upon their own wants than the wants and the needs of the other people across the aisle. Within the American church, the problem is not the church exploding from the outside. No, the, the problem and the great fear amongst the American church is the church imploding being torn apart from the inside. Implosion causes the loss of relationship, doesn't it? Among people who are supposed to be the closest. You ever run into Walmart, also known as a piece of hell experience, and see someone that who you used to be in church with? Is that ever awkward? If you had problems that ne were never answered, or there never appeared to be healing. Man, if you are sin, Satan, and death, what a great, great strategy. Family hurt hurts the worst, doesn't it? Whether that's your biological family, or whether that's your spiritual family. Family hurt hurts the worst. A lot can be wrong in the world and on the news, but we seem to make it and think that we can make it if things are good at home. But if things are bad at home on top of those things, then it seems as though it is you know, just impossible to go any further. One of the greatest weapons of sin, Satan, and death has to cause problems within the local church that is typically birthed from a terrible attitude toward your brother toward your sister. We see this tactic in use that in the disciples as they argue over which one of them is the greatest in heaven. And what's crazy about this is even after this teaching in Matthew chapter 18, we are going to see this same problem take over and over and over and over and over again. Even right before Jesus is going to be crucified, they are still fighting over who is the greatest. Later in the New Testament, in many Paul's letters, he is also addressing internal conflict. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-3, through 3, listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth. But brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready for it. Why? And here's the reason why. Verse 3, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? 
So Paul is writing to this church and he's telling, man, I, I had to give you spiritual milk because there's, there's so much tension. They had tons of tension coming from the outside, but the most difficult tension was the tension that was happening within that community of faith. And I'm not simply talking about a Sunday morning gathering, but I'm talking about belonging to the church, that there was jealousy, that there was envy. If you keep reading there in that passage, this is where there's the whole argument and, and they're wrestling over who is greater? Who's the greater preacher? Paul or Apollos? Some of you think he's greater. Some of you think he is greater. And Paul says, man, there's strife among you. Why? Because you were acting in your flesh. Brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus must teach them and much te must teach us how to respond to each other, how to, to care for each other, to think about each other, and to want and desire what is best for each other. By His grace, you and I must fight for the health of the local church. We've got to fight for it, not against each other but for each other. Health just does not come. All right? We live in a culture where you can pop a pill or hook, you know, an electrical pocket up to your belly in hopes that, man, that, that blubber will go away. But we all know what it takes. It takes hard work to diet. And it takes hard work to go to the gym. It has to be a priority for you as an individual to get healthy. And what do we see when people get physically healthy? Man, they go off of all kinds of medicines, all these sorts of things. They don't have to be on all this sort of stuff. Why? Because they are healthy. But man, it was hard work to get to that moment. And for us as the local church, we must fight for hard work because the temptation for each one of us will be to despise each other, will be to think less of each other. Instead of jockeying for position in the top of the pyramid scheme, we humbly are concerned for the welfare of our brothers and sisters in the local church and also globally. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians. And if you're new to the Scripture, for some of you, this is going to sound really corny. But if you're a new Christian or an unbeliever, I'm going to help you out. Inside the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You've got, you've got Acts there, which is actually the part of Luke. I don't know why the, the canon separated it, but they did. It's a continuation of the book of Luke. And you have these letters from Paul, right? And this is a great way to memorize this. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And I like alliteration. God eats popcorn constantly, all right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, if that helps you find it. I was told that as a, a new Christian, and I've, obviously I've never forgotten it, all right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God eats popcorn constantly. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, I want you to read with me. Philippians, chapter 2, verses 2 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Again, we're one, bone of bone, flesh of flesh as the church. 
says this, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." So we see just a, several years later, after this is written in the Gospel of Matthew, that, that, that even Paul is addressing this. He's reminding them, we've got to be of the same mind. Brothers and sisters, you know what the expectation should be of brothers and sisters? That we act like Christians. Not that we're perfect, but we are made perfect by Jesus. And when we fall, when we do things, when we say things that we shouldn't say, that we come in repentance and humility to the brother and sister around us, that we are seeking the welfare as Jesus sought the welfare. We seek the interest of other people. We empty ourselves for brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet, what do we fight? To think down upon each other. Think we're better than other people. To get really frustrated with other Christians. And please hear me, I am not saying that there is not, a, again, a level of expectation. There is. And yet, we must be very careful to write people off. We can often drift away from the attitude of Christ toward other Christians when we are jealous. When we think we are better because we are smarter or know more about the Scripture. When we're unwilling to give up certain freedoms for the sake of other struggling Christians. We can, we can drift even to show favoritism based on people's economic status or their race or their nationality. Brothers and sisters, if we care about an American Christian more than we care about the, the, the Christian in India, then there is a major problem in our hearts. We care equally for them as brothers and sisters in Christ because our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in God's kingdom. Have you ever done this? Have I ever done this? What about when someone in the church falls in to major sin or to sin? What do you think about them? What about a pastor? When that pastor falls into sin, maybe even to the point where he's removed himself, he's become disqualified from being involved in ministry. Now, I'm not saying when everybody is around but I'm saying even when you're by yourself. What's going through your mind? And what's going through my heart? Have you ever said this? Confessionally, you know what? I have. Someone falls into sin. A pastor uh, disqualifies himself because of sin. And one of the things that comes to my mind is, and I'm, I'm not surprised, I always knew that there was something about them. 
Have you ever hoped that someone would fall? Have you ever been tempted to celebrate when, when you hear that someone has fallen upon rough times or that when they have fallen into sin? Have you ever celebrated that sin inside of their life? Because again, you're comparing yourself to them and go, man, I'm, I'm better than them. I, I must be doing, I know that this is bad, but it's not as bad as what this person is doing. So I'm justified in my sin. What happens when another believer confronts you and you're in love about the sin that is taking place inside of your life? We, we will say things like, man, they don't know me. Who do they think that they are confronting me on that? We must be reminded that Jesus loves all of his children equally. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing. Get this this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is absolutely nothing nothing that you can do to make God love you any more than he perfectly loves you right now, courtesy of Jesus. You can't earn any more of his love. He loves Jesus infinitely. Therefore, he has placed that infinite love upon you and I as well. Jesus doesn't love some future version of yourself more than he loves you right now. He loves you so much that he refuses to let you and I stay in this current state. And that's why we must look at each other and fight to look at each other as Christ looks at us. Look at Philippians chapter, the same chapter here, verses 5 through 7. Jesus doesn't compare, does he? He does not despise. No, the Bible tells us that he empties himself by taking on the form of a what? Of a servant. He humbles himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. We are reminded this morning of these gospel truths of who Jesus is. And if Jesus declares that you are son, you are son indeed. If he declares that you are daughter, you are daughter indeed. Therefore, we must respect and love and care for each other out of the realization that they are the king's. They're the kings. And what have we learned in Matthew chapter 18? You do not mess with the king's kids. You don't mess with them. Jesus never calls us to do anything that he does not illustrate himself. We have learned in chapter Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18 that we are to be humble children, humble servants. What does Philippians tell us? He empties himself. He gives it all. He is a, we learn from this passage, a servant. He has been humbled. He is obedient to the local church, to the global church, even to the point of death. Now, let's continue because of time, but if you look inside of your Bible there, you will quickly notice in most translations, it goes from verse 10. Look at it. So, no, I'm not lying to you. So what's the next number? 12. There's not an 11. Most common translations, especially modern translations who have more manuscripts, there's a reason for this. Inside of, uh, of newer transcripts or manuscripts of the, the ancient writings of Scripture, and I don't have time to go into much detail about this, but in the earliest of manuscripts, verse 11 isn't there. And verse 11 says, it says that Jesus came to save the lost. If you look at the bottom of your Bible, it probably has a footnote that says something similar to that. 
right? But in trying to take care of good translation, we try to look at the oldest manuscripts, and it's simply not there. That's not to say that it's not true. Because if you look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says those exact same words about Jesus. Okay? So I don't want you to think I'm skipping verse 11. It's not there. Doesn't mean that it's not true. It is. Luke 19, 10. But it's not in this passage. So let's go on to verse 12 through 14. All right. So Jesus is going to illustrate this. Don't think, low, don't think bad about other Christians. Love them. Care for them. Do not uh, appoint yourself above them. And now he's going to illustrate why this is so important. In verse 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains to go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it will not, excuse me, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Quickly, let's look at this. We see a man. He is a shepherd. We know this to be Jesus. And in this side of this parable, Jesus says that he's got a hundred sheep. Who are the sheep? Those whom he has saved. Okay, now he's got way more than that. This is just a number for an illustration. But Jesus is the good shepherd. The, the church is the sheep. They are his chosen children. And what does the Bible tell us here? It says that Jesus has got a hundred of them. One of them goes out on its own. He has not lost his salvation, but he is wandering. He has become disobedient. She has become disobedient. So what does Jesus do? He leaves the 99 to go after that one. But where does he leave the 99? He leaves them on the mountain top. Mountaintop is always perceived to be much safer than the valley below. So Jesus leaves 99 to go after this one. This sheep is in great danger. I don't have time to go into all the details today, but we know from history and just people who watch sheep that a sheep cannot live by itself. That that sheep needs community, but even more so than community, that that sheep needs a shepherd. There are dangerous wolves where he thinks it is best to go. Where this wayward sheep thinks that he is going because he is trying to be the master of his own domain. He wants to be the God of his own life. He thinks he knows a better way to greener passages. That if I just had this, if I just had these functional saviors in my life, if I just have a girlfriend, if I just have a boyfriend, if I just have a drink, if I just do drugs, if I just watch this on the internet, if I just have this, then it would be much better than where the shepherd has led us to go. So it is dangerous. There's an enemy that comes to seek, to steal, to kill, to destroy that sheep. The enemy often will come after the weak ones. I mean, you have not watched the Discovery Channel or Planet 1, 2, 3, whatever, and not seen this process. Yet what does the shepherd do? The shepherd leaves the 99 in safety to put his own life at risk for the one. 
the one. He is disobedient, yet what does Jesus do? Jesus pursues the disobedient sheep. He pursues the wandering sheep. He, he pursues the one who thinks that their way is better than God's way. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand this this morning. You do not come to God because you pursued him. Scripture tells us in the book of Romans that before Jesus coming into your life that you could not even seek God. There are not seekers out there apart from Jesus. That's why we can't formulate our entire church experience around seekers. Because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them already working and plowing that ground. They are not seeking Jesus. No, we did not come to Jesus if you have been saved this morning because of your pursuit of God. No, you have come to Jesus this morning because God pursued you in your wandering. In your waywardness, Jesus came after you. When you were shunning him, when you were running toward the darkness and loving it, Jesus pursued you like the good shepherd. He goes after you. He pursues, he pursues, he pursues, he pursues. You're maybe here this morning and you are drifting toward, or you have already drifted. I want you to know for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, he will bring you back. And this morning, maybe the very shepherd hook that has been reaching out to you gently, but very firmly to pull you back into the fold from that which you have wandered. To let you continue would be to give you what you want. And yet God, rich in his mercy and sovereignty, goes against your desires, against your wants, to bring you to himself. Is this not your story? Is this not my story? And what does he do when he finds you? He rejoices. He rejoices. Brothers and sisters, have you ever wandered and been brought back? Man, has, have you ever walked alongside of someone else who is wandering and has been bought back? Jesus rejoices. Now, in his rejoicing, he doesn't do so because he doesn't love that sheep anymore because it went wayward. But no, like if you have two kids and one of them gets lost and then they are found, it doesn't mean that you love the other kid who didn't get lost more or less, but you are rejoicing in what? That child that was found. Is this not the story later on in the book of Luke, uh, the prodigal sons, that there's one who stays close to home and there's one who leaves, and yet the father rejoices at the son. He runs, he chases after him. He's looking through the curtains, through the blinds daily, longing for his son to go home. He runs to his son, and yet the older son, he misses the point because he says, blessing has always been here for you. Everything I've always had is yours. He was wanting to be greater than his younger brother who went rebellious. And Jesus loves them both the same. I want you to think about it this morning. Let this soak in. Let this be your joy. If you sit here today, if Jesus has truly saved you, it is because God has pursued you and kept you. There is no greater news in heaven and earth than that this morning. 
There's in all of the universe as, as in some way that God is, is perfectly home, uh, holding some star and is, is causing it to perfectly twi- twinkle at the rhythm and the melody of his very own heart is simultaneously holding that and is reaching out to the child who is starting to drift or who has gone wayward from him. But notice, and we see this in Scripture Jesus does not trample back and just go off with that lonely sheep. What does he do? He brings that lost sheep to the fold. And who is the fold? Who is the flock? The church. Because again, we become dependent upon Jesus. We are dependent upon the church. College students, let me speak to you for a second. This whole thing about I'm going to go spend four years and I'm going to kind of date the church and, and not really, I don't know, because I don't know where I'm going to be in four years. Do you know most people don't last in a church four years? Now you, you go give it all to that people. Older brothers and sisters, this idea, and I want, you got to get this, I, I mean, I'll, I will lovingly wrestle with you because I I, I want to humbly serve you and be faithful to the text, this idea that you can claim to be followers of Jesus and yet claim to have your own flock at your address. Or then some way you can watch a podcast and you belong to the church. That is not the church. That is not. It's good audio. All right? That's like being faithful at your home. But that is not belonging to the church. Church membership, church partnership is the process by which God reveals to us our dependency upon him and our dependency upon each other. You are going to, there is not a certain, you know, cabin by the sea in heaven for you and your earthly wife. There is a city. And it is an amazing city. Well, we all live probably in apartment complexes. And the walls of that city, if you've ever read it, it's a cube in the book of Revelation. We're going to live one day in a cube with high walls. But your mansion isn't as important as who's there. And his name is God. And that's who the good shepherd is bringing us to the flock, so that we can be with the good shepherd, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We see this in the, the book of John. Man, oh, man, what should I do? We see this in the book of John. We're going for it. John chapter 10, verse 7 through 18, verses 27 through 30. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not the shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. I and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the, the Father 
Father loves me because I lay down my life and and I, I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and they know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never. And no one, who's in that no one? No one can snatch you out of my hand. That means someone else can't, and it means you can't. You cannot be snatched if you are in the shepherd's care. Brothers and sisters, if God has a bazillion sheep, no matter ups and downs, if they burn us at the stake, if they feed us to lions, if they rip us to shreds, if the United States government says we cannot meet, I want you to know when this all thing is wrapped up and a big bow is tied upon it, what will be standing is the person and work of God and his church. His church. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Meditate on this, everything that Jesus has done to secure your salvation. If you are really His, know this, you will make it. You will make it. What do we have to worry about? Church, what do you have to worry about? What are we fearful of? Worst thing you do is kill me. What do you do? I heard a guy the other day, me and Justin, we go to the Spencer's on Mondays. We have our elder meeting. If you ever want to join us, we'll pray for you. We'll have some coffee together. Three o'clock, Mondays. We're there. We see the same people every Monday. They came, the guy came to us the other day. He said, how are you brothers doing? I said, we're doing great. We said, how are you doing? He says, well, I'm doing great because I'm smelling the daisies and I'm not pushing them up. <laughs> Carry the one. Okay. But you're a Christian is what I wanted to say. In my, that's what I was saying in my mind. For those of us who are in Christ, pushing up daisies is far better than breathing another bit of pollution on this earth. Because you are with Jesus. You're with God. You're with Him. I'm with Him. We can live dangerous. We can live risky. We can, we can go as we go. We can give all of this up as Jesus did. He empties himself for the sake of the sheep. He, he goes dangerous. He's risky. We need a dangerous church again. We need to stop with all of this church and ease and, and trying to create and make people feel comfortable because here's the deal. Most people who are claiming to know Jesus are biblically illiterate, so even if you were to paint a picture of Jesus, they would have no idea who you're talking about. And here's the deal. The temptation is to think that you're better because we know that. But what do we learn today? Humbly serve that person. Humbly serve them even if they reject you. Humbly say, but brother... Where is that in the Word? Humbly say, man, I've got brothers that are pastors right now that their situation is horrific because the churches are imploding. And what it really comes down to is, is not some major sin among the pastors. That does happen. I'm not trying to hear, just wave the, the banner for pastors are great. Man, we are messed up individuals. This one included. And Justin is greater at being a sinner than I am. Okay? <laughs> We are messed up. But in the situations I'm talking about, 
You know what's messed up? Is this pastor is seeking desperately to be faithful. He is seeking desperately to shepherd those people. He is seeking desperately to honor God above all things, to find his fear and respect in God above the fear and respect of that membership. And you know what they're ready to do? They're ready to hang that guy. Because it's so foreign, we have drifted so foreign from the biblical church and from the biblical Jesus that, man, we have got to fight for what? The health of the church clinging to the grace and the mercy of God. Meditate on this, everything that Jesus has done for you and I. If, if you're really his, know this. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. The shepherd goes and gets them. He brings them home. Home is the church. We are, 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 are far more safe together as the church than apart. As we have been pursued by Jesus, so we are to pursue each other. Especially when one of us has gone astray. And I pray that that's, that's an on-ramp for Pastor Justin next week as he preaches. What do we do? When the brother or sister has gone astray, do we simply drop our hands of it? Do we not care? Or do we confront them and pursue them in gospel grace? Why? Because Jesus, good shepherd, this is what he does. In response, how do we respond to this? You guys have been great. John Piper, the Christian author and speaker, very influential man in my life, though he doesn't know it. I'll tell him one day in heaven once said this, imitation is not salvation, but salvation brings imitation. Say it again, because that's what good preachers do. Imitation is not salvation, but salvation brings imitation. Brothers and sisters, God has not only chosen who the sheep are, but God has chosen who the messengers are. God has chosen the under-shepherds. And guess who those are? Us. Not just me. Not just Pastor Justin. All of us are those messengers. All of us should be joining in and aspiring to be like Jesus. Why? Because, because of salvation, we imitate him. His mission is to what? Seek and save the lost. By grace, we fight for the health of the local church. We lay down our lives as humble servants and risk everything. I mean everything. Your time, your talent, your treasure for the sake of the church. Man, if you've got something, you bring your kids with you. You bring your wife with you. You do it as a family, and then it's not sacrificing family time. It's global. It's, it's overarching umbrella family time. We give sacrificially. We're not worried about 10%. No, we're worried about giving generously of our finances and of our time to where it is tough. Do we have to do have to work out some things with our schedules? Where we, where we do have to maybe not eat so many cheeseburgers or have expensive coffee? It's risky. I know. And it's tough. It's consuming. Man, but this is what happens within a church where everyone goes all in. Right or wrong? You can rebuke me afterward, but there are 
I enjoy a good Texas Hold'em game. I'm not addicted. I just enjoy getting with, together with brothers, people who aren't struggling with those things. And, and even if we don't play for money, I'm not saying that, but there's nothing like knowing you got the hand that's going to win. In there. Like, in case it costs, there's only four aces in the deck, but somehow you got five. Like, you're going to get this. Right? And you're sitting there, and you're trying to have your poker face. Poker face. And right? And you're, you're like, no matter what, good or bad, you wear your sunglasses, visor. But inside, you're like, and you go, I'm all in. You know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, you're going to win. What happens in the local church when everyone says, we're all in? It's been won. See, then you, if everyone is contributing 100%, you can't argue over who's greater. If the hand is being the hand and you're the foot and the hand is participating, you thank God for the hand and what they're doing that you cannot do because you're the foot. What happens within the local church when, when everyone says, man, we are all in, we push all of the chips to the table for the sake of the church, for those who are here and for those who have gone astray, we will go. We, we write a blank check with our life that only God can cash, and yet we say, here we go. We're all in. We help each other. We serve each other. We lift each other up. We will, we will go after, man. If you're going wayward, we're going to call you. We're going to show up at your house. We're going to walk with you. We're going to text you to death. We're going to Facebook message. We're going to tweet you, whatever. We're coming after you, brother. We're coming after you, sister, for the sake of this seeking and saving the lost because we desire out of salvation to imitate the person and work of Jesus. Mission Church is a community of believers where it's okay to not be okay. But by God's grace, we don't let each other stay that way. May we be humble today at the realization of who Jesus is, that he is our good shepherd, who risked everything for the sake of you and I, the lost sheep, to bring us back into the fold. Even the book of John tells us there are more sheep out there that are currently wayward, all over the globe. It's our responsibility to go after them. We don't know who is, who's a sheep and who's a goat. So we, we are believing that everyone, that God can save everyone. So we preach the gospel to everyone. I love where John Piper recently said, if the, if the United States won't let the refugees come to our country anymore, then hold on, refugees, because the church will come to you. That's all in. That is risky. That is dangerous. In view of this truth, we do not look down upon each other, but we sacrificially care and risk everything as Jesus did for the sake of the church, and we join Jesus' mission of seeking the lost sheep who have wandered from the fold. Man, that is the kind of community that I want to be a part of. One that is all in, that is living dangerous, that is living risky for the sake of the kingdom as a reflection of the one who is guaranteed 
none of us who are his will perish. Let's pray. Lord.